just imagine what it would have been like for the followers of Jesus hearing this Jesus is alive for the very first time. The women heading for the tomb in their mourning and grief. Only to be met by angelic messages telling them Jesus is alive. Or the disciples, initially unconvinced by the women's story, but later meeting the risen Jesus, touching his wounds and eating with him. Being left in no doubt whatsoever, Jesus is alive. All the disciples on the road joined by Jesus as they were heading home. And he explained to them how the scriptures showed he had to die and rise from the dead. And then he broke bread with them. And at that point, the scales fell off their eyes and they were opened and they saw the risen Jesus. And they knew the truth. Jesus is alive. And I'm sure for all of us who are Christians, there's something similar in each of our stories. A time when we did not believe that message, but then a time when we did hear it and we knew it to be true. We knew in our hearts, Jesus is alive. I know that's part of my story of coming to faith. And just like those first disciples, that message turned my world upside down, transformed my mind and changed my life forever. What a glorious message to be able to proclaim and hopefully an encouraging message to hear. Jesus is alive. Just three simple words. But when we put them together, they have so much meaning and power. One of those phrases we often find in God's word that seems so simple. But when you start to unpack it and think about it, the enormity of the theological truth it contains blows your mind. Uh, a bit like at the start of Genesis, in the beginning, God. Or when Jesus is on the cross, it is finished. Or when the birth of Jesus is promised, they will call him Emmanuel. And if you were with us on Friday, we explored another phrase similar to that. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus declaring his mission on earth was finished. And that he was trusting the judgment of his father and his promises. And at that point, it could easily have seemed like the end of the story. Jesus had finished his mission and he was dead. The temple curtain had been torn in two, meaning we could now draw near to God. It is now possible to be reconciled with God. Maybe all we were left with was to consider, well, what's our response to this man on the cross? We read elsewhere, the centurions praised God. All about you. Well, Jesus may have completed his mission on earth, but God's redemptive plan is not yet finished. The story goes on. Jesus is alive. And as we just considered in the passage from 1 Corinthians, actually the resurrection of Jesus was inevitable and necessary. The son of God, the giver and source of life, how could death possibly hold him? As Peter preached at Pentecost, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If he had not been raised from the dead, we would have just seen a fraud, uh, and Christianity would have died out pretty quickly. It was inevitable and necessary, and it is an essential part of our faith. As we, I said, we just thought about with the passage and things Marco shared with us, in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So Jesus' life tells us so much. Um, we haven't got all day, so I'm just going to focus on 
what we discover in Luke 24. I think if we look at Luke 24, there's a process repeated four times. Uh, the process goes a message, an encounter, and then a response. Or more specifically, a message, Jesus is alive, an encounter with the risen Jesus, and a response to the message and the person. And you probably won't be surprised, you probably thought it yourself already, that's the regular pattern of evangelism. Human endeavour as we pass on the message, a supernatural encounter and divine intervention. Both of those things together require a response. Yes, there will be different responses, but a response is required. It could be disbelief. How can we believe that 2,000 years ago a man was crucified, buried in a tomb, and then came back to life, got himself out of the tomb? And not only that, we believe he never died again, but went up to heaven. To many, that will sound ridiculous. Or maybe some will respond with curiosity, as Peter did in the reading. Some here and do not believe or disbelieve, but are curious and want to find out more. He ran to the tomb to see for himself, amazed, but not yet convinced. Or you might respond with faith. Those who have heard Jesus is alive and encountered the risen Jesus who believe and trust in all that Jesus has done and promised. So the first time we see this process in action is when the women go to the tomb, verses 1 to 8. Their expectation is they will find a dead body. But they get to the tomb, and instead of the body of Jesus, they are met by angelic messengers. And their message, Jesus is alive. And then the women think back, and they remember the times they've been with Jesus, and the things he had said, and they remembered their encounters with Jesus and those two things together they believe they respond in faith and we see instantly the pattern of God's people being disciple making disciples the women have heard this message Jesus is alive they've encountered Jesus for themselves they've believed and now they become the messengers the process will be repeated through these new messengers so they run to disciples the other disciples and tell them what's happened they carry the message, Jesus is alive. And even though the disciples had encountered Jesus in the same way as the women, they had not yet met the risen Jesus. So they're intrigued, they're curious, but they're also skeptical and they doubt. For them, the process is going to take a little bit longer. But then the process starts again in verses 13 to 32, those two disciples walking home. And at first, unknowingly, they're joined by Jesus. And he declares to them, I am alive. They're given what I can only imagine would be one of the best Bible studies ever. As they encounter Jesus through God's word, as he unpacks it for them and shows them how everything they're hearing must be true. But despite even divine teaching, they've not yet fully understood and fully believed but they're still curious. They still want to find out more. And then Jesus breaks bread with them. That simple act of communion, the sacrament given to us by Jesus that we would remember him, that simple act opens their eyes. The scales fall off and they remember what he had said. They remember who he is and they see before them the risen Jesus and they encounter the risen Jesus physically. They believe. And as with the women, these believers have heard the message, Jesus is alive. They've encountered Jesus for themselves. 
they believed and so they become the messengers and the process continues through them. The completion of the process that was already started by the women is picked up by these two disciples. They run to the others and tell them Jesus is alive. But we read in verse 37, the other disciples are still not convinced. At first they continue in their unbelief. But then they encounter the risen Jesus. In his mercy and grace, he shows himself to them. He comes and stands among them. They encounter Jesus physically. They also encounter him through the reality of his death. They can see and touch the very wounds from the cross. There's still an element of doubt. How can this possibly be true? But they seem to accept the reality of what they are seeing and encountering. And we read also their joy in discovering Jesus is alive. So despite their incredulity, they are convinced and they believe Jesus is alive. So Jesus' mission on earth is complete. He's about to return to his father in heaven. But what we've seen in these verses so far is that he's passing on a plan for the next phase of God's redemptive plan, the next phase of that plan. He's going to send out messengers to proclaim the message, Jesus is alive. And as we do that, as God's people do that, people will encounter the risen Jesus by God's supernatural intervention. And they will have to respond both to the message and the person of Jesus. But just to make sure they really get it and we really get it, actually then the process is acted out again by Jesus over three scenes. So in verses 44 to 49, he tells them explicitly they are to be his messengers. He gives another Bible study, the word of God, explaining the word of God. It just would have been awesome to have been in either of those times when Jesus unpacked God's word. But what he's doing is equipping them to proclaim the gospel once he's gone. And we're told he also gives them supernatural insight and understanding. The same as he does for all his people still today. Being a messenger of Jesus is not just for the most intelligent or those with the most advanced theological qualifications or the most gifted speakers. All of God's people are equipped to tell others Jesus is alive. He tells them to be his messengers and tell everyone they can. A command that continues today for all Christians at all times and in all places. So it's the same command for us here today, meeting as Kenworth Community Church. It's that pattern that started with the women at the tomb and continued throughout church history, carries on today. Those who receive the message with faith become the messengers. Another way of saying we are to be disciple-making disciples. And reflecting, I think we've become too convinced that people are not interested that our message will just fall on deaf ears and hard hearts when we let our lack of faith and our own fears hold us back from telling everyone around us, Jesus is alive. And the questions I'm challenged by, have we lost our confidence in the power of this simple message? Have we lost our confidence in the truth that people need to know the message? Have we lost our confidence that people will meet the risen Jesus as we declare this message? Well, if you're lacking confidence, Jesus gave his first disciples and us a good reason to be absolutely confident. 
they could live up to this command to be his messengers, and so can we. Because as he reassured them, he also promises us in this new phase of building his church, we don't go out on our own strength, we go with the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that empowers. We're not left on our own to proclaim the message Jesus is alive. We need and have the Holy Spirit to be at work in us and through us as we do that. Jesus even tells them, do not tell anyone until you've received the Spirit. Just to really emphasize, it's not about human endeavor alone. It isn't about having confidence in your own abilities. The message we proclaim is only effective when it is Spirit-empowered. So as we want to obey this command of Jesus, we need to believe the Holy Spirit goes with us to give us confidence and boldness. And then the second scene, again, to reinforce the need for an encounter, the disciples get another encounter with Jesus, but one that is so markedly different. It would have been amazing to have seen the risen Jesus, but this time they also get a glimpse of his true majesty and his glory. And it reminds us we don't just encounter Jesus in our conversion. As Christians, we keep meeting Jesus. We keep having encounters with Jesus. If we commit and apply ourselves to our relationship with him, we can know Jesus ever more deeply and see more of his glory ever more clearly. And beyond that, we have a promise of a full encounter with Jesus. Promise that God will complete his plan of redemption. Jesus will return and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Those who are his will live with him for all of eternity. And we will know him more deeply and fully than we can ever hope to in this life. And then the final scene uh, shows in the process there needs to be a response, but we're shown what the right response should be. And if you're still not sure, read verses 52 to 53. If you want to know how should you respond, to the message Jesus is alive. How should you respond to the person of the risen Jesus? It tells you here, worship him for who he is and what he's done. What he's done for you. Praise God for his plans and his promises. Praise God for sending Jesus. And now he sends his Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us. Worship and praise. That is the right response to the message Jesus is alive. That is the right response when you encounter the risen Jesus. So as we draw closer to Jesus, as each new encounter shows us more and more of his glory, the response this should provoke in each and every one of us is to worship and praise him. So I think in this chapter we've seen a process in action four times, and that process is the pattern for the next phase in God's redemption plan. And that's the phase we're part of. And it's to declare the message, Jesus is alive, to trust that people will encounter the risen Jesus and to know that people need to respond. So I think it's pretty straightforward. What does this mean for us today? Well, actually, firstly, I would like to speak to any of you listening who would say you're not yet Christian. And I hope you have a better understanding of why the Christians you know, and I assume you know some because you're listening now, why the Christians you know keep telling you about Jesus? Why do they keep telling you Jesus is alive? And if you're cynical, you might think, well, they just want more church members. They need more funds. They need more people giving their time. It isn't that at all. We've heard this message. Jesus is alive. And we've encountered the risen Lord Jesus. And we want this for you, too. The greatest truth we've ever been told. And we want you to know it and believe it. So our prayer is that you will encounter Jesus for yourself. 
So you've heard this message today, Jesus is alive. The next step in the process is to encounter you. So you need to look for him. If you genuinely want to meet him, he's promised he will never, ever turn away any who seek him. So commit yourself to seek Jesus and he will reveal himself and make himself known to you. For those of us who would call ourselves Christians, uh, we are those who are now commanded to be Jesus' messengers. The ones who carry on this work of proclaiming the message, Jesus is alive. We've heard it for ourselves, we've believed it and we need to be telling others, we need to be disciple-making disciples. But I think we also need to be people of prayer. Human endeavour alone is never enough. People need to hear the message, but there also has to be divine intervention. People need to encounter the risen Lord Jesus. If that is true, how can we not be on our knees pleading with God to have mercy on those we know and love, to have mercy on the world around us? We need God to be at work. And yet, unfortunately, in our churches up and down the UK, prayer meetings are always the most poorly attended. And you could take that as a rebuke if you're someone who doesn't attend regularly. And, but my desire is not to rebuke you, but to encourage you to be more prayerful. My desire is that as a church, we pray more fervently. So yes, we proclaim Jesus alive, but we're also pleading with God in prayer to make himself known to those we share this message with. Our human endeavours are needed, they are necessary, but never enough on their own. We need God to be at work. And we must also be a people who praise and worship God. He deserves our praise. He's worthy of our worship, and it should be our natural response to Jesus. Uh, and if you've forgotten, at KCC, we've committed ourselves to being disciple-making disciples who are worshipping God as family, telling the gospel, and doing good. And Luke 24 is a great reminder of why this is the right thing to commit to. Jesus is alive is a simple message loaded with power and meaning. It is the message that was declared on that first Easter and one we declare every Easter Sunday. But let it also be the message we declare whenever we have opportunity. Let it be the message that fuels our prayers. Let it be the message that unites us as family. Let it be the message that empowers us to love our neighbours. Let it be the message that inspires our worship and praise. Friends, Jesus is alive. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this message, for the truth of what we read in your word, that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. Lord, we thank you, those of us who have heard that message and believe, those of us who have encountered Jesus, we thank you with all our hearts for the work you've done in our lives. And we do pray for those who've not yet had this privilege. Lord, show yourself to them. Help them to know the truth of this simple message, that you are alive. Lord, give us the confidence, the boldness to be your messengers, to know that you are alive and the people around us need to hear this message. And would this truth shape everything about who we are and what we do? Help us as we strive to be disciple-making disciples who worship Christ, who tell the gospel and who do good. Lord, be with us as we leave this place with this message ringing in our ears, Jesus is alive. Amen.